yeah. Yeah, man, you know, the one thing I just really love about this film so much is it just feels lived in. Like, C-3PO gets dirtier, more beat up as the film goes on. Everything has dust on it or grime on it. There's sand. It's coarse, rough, and everywhere. That's right, folks. Welcome to our show. Infinite Pulp presents It's Coarse, Rough, and Everywhere. Star Wars, a sand story, a working title. I am so excited about this. We've been working really hard on this, as you can tell. Gosh, I, we, yeah, I, I still don't know what our title is going to be, but I really loved, loved, I want, we have to incorporate something with sand. So it's a working title, but as of right now, our series on Star Wars is called It's Coarse, Rough, and Everywhere, Star Wars, A Sand Story. Because you know what? When you get down to it, sand is at the, the core of, of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, it begins it's the and ends in sand. It absolutely does. And so I think we need to pay tribute to Star Wars, a sand story or the sand saga, <laughs> as, as as we may put it. Oh, my gosh. So that's what this is now. We're going to get into it, man. Welcome. Anything? Um, how you doing, man? Having having a good week? Yeah. In general, it's been good. Um, yeah. Really enjoying working through Netflix and Hulu. Um, we caught up on Bob's Burgers this week. We adore that show. And we usually try to like get fast food and eat Bob's Burgers, you know, eat fast food burgers while we watch Bob's Burgers. This week instead, I made burgers, homemade, which was delicious. Um, had those with it. We burned through the Queen's Gambit in like one day. We sat down and watched for like eight hours and then it was done. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, we're, we finished Scrubs. We polished off that cringy final season, which is good. So got a lot of fun interesting stuff we're working through and um continuing to explore you know personal options and avenues around employment and a career in something maybe nonprofit related something something that's going to feel validating for me mm-hmm. so i'm i'm excited i'm feeling very optimistic and a big thing that i am learning is that i can be in conflict with people and still feel centered and grounded and strong and that's something that i had forgotten how to do because i was so privileged that I had nothing but positive relationships around me. And so I hadn't really mm-hmm. dealt with any conflict. And then I had some conflict with my parents this week that just like reinforced for me. That like, oh, yeah, I can I can be sideways with people and people cannot be happy with me. And I'm still an awesome human being and I'm doing a good thing in this world. Yeah. Look and out that- now, folks. Max is coming <laughs> strong on the podcast with his with his opinions and views. I now. got opinions, boy. I got them. <laughs> what about you, man? How you doing? Honestly, things have been great. I've been staying at my parents this week, so the audio may be a little messed up because I don't have my soundboards up or anything. So it's a little echo in this room. You may see some cars drive by, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, things have been really good. I, I, I feel like work is kind of flowing well, and I'm like, I want to be there and like do a good job, which is you know rare for me in work. Like mm-hmm. honestly, like I've not found a lot of jobs where like I mean I want to do a good job, but at, at certain point in my like life, I always get to the point where like. I just don't care about this job anymore. I don't like it. And just kind of my personality and, and whether it has anything to do with, you know, the borderline ADA, ADHD, ADA. See how much I'm, I'm into the leaves world. Um, borderline ADHD <laughs> diagnosis I got just about like if I don't like something, it's so hard for me to get into it, which is why we're talking Star Wars, because this is now the third time I've seen this movie in the last few weeks, because I'm watching it right now to like make sure that I can recognize. That's probably when- a really good idea. I'm going to mute myself right quick while I pull it up so you don't have to listen to me click to it. Yeah. So here's what I want to do first. So now that we all know that we're still in a decently OK position in February, by the way, hopefully um, everyone got my message. I'm going to re- or everyone got my little message earlier in mid-January. 
um, that we're starting today. So today is now 2021 podcast for Infinite Pulp. This is our first episode. If you didn't listen to the bonus commentary for A New Hope. But um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through Star Wars over the next, honestly, like it's at least 11 weeks because that's how many movies there are going to be. So it's going to be a lot of Star Wars. I do have some plans to break it up in the middle a little bit. Max has already sent me a little topic that I actually do want to get into because Easy A is one of my favorite comedies. It's so good. And I want to go through Easy A and kind of talk about the meta classics with you. But um, that's to come more enjoyable conversations but today is all about star wars that's all it is and specifically it's all about a new hope and we're going to talk about it and see what it's going to be like and just going to really try to dissect the film for you and um get into what we like about it what we don't like about it some themes hopefully i wrote a lot of stuff down on little questions i had as i'm going through the through the film and just really comments but where i want to start with this um and i want to start our entire um Star Wars podcast with um, I don't want to reveal the full rankings that we each have for our personal Star Wars list. But if if you had an opportunity to look at that over the three times I texted you over the last month to make your mm-hmm. own personal Star Wars list, mm-hmm. I want you to tell me where A New Hope is and where it ranks. And we're just going to do it by movie and not divulge our full list until it's all over. Wow, that's intense, man. That's intense. I love it. That's intense like camping. Okay, so I wasn't ready for A New Hope first. I will say that it is – is, this includes – are we just doing the Central Skywalker saga or are we doing like tertiary films as well? So here's what I want. You have – there's 11 films that we're going to be reviewing. Skywalker saga, Rogue One, Solo. Those okay. are the 11 that we're going to do. So I need you to let me know where A New Hope ranks on your ultimate Star Wars list. Um, and I'll, I can go first while you're thinking my, uh, a new hope, but a new hope is my third favorite star Wars film. So it ranks three out of the 11. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I, I, and really after watching it these last few weeks with you and then kind of watching it again for the notes, it's really solidified as like, it's definitely like the third for sure. Wow. That's a big deal. And I know, I know that's where, because it's never going to, it's, it's probably never going to overtake the first two for me. Definitely will never overtake the first, I don't think, but who knows? Um, my, my favorite movie, Star Wars movie growing up was much different than my favorite Star Wars movie now. So who knows what's going to happen later? <laughs> um, so yeah, where's, where's A New Hope at yours, at your, at your personal ranking? New Hope for me is number five cool interesting top half good yeah good top half i like that i like that so he he, he, going forward we're going to divulge what each movie is on our list as we watch that movie and at the end we'll kind of do our full rankings for everybody and then i also want to see if um the last episode we're going to do so we're going to do all nine films or 11 i'm sorry all 11 films the last episode we're going to do the 12th episode um and it's going to be max and i trying to create a infinite pulp list of rankings so because our our versions are going to be different. I'm going to figure out how we're going to try to figure that out, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and you're going to get a lot of people are going to get really mad at me for my rankings, man. Yes, they my are. Rankings and, are all over the place. And they and they rightly should get mad at you. And you will have to back those rankings up as we discuss this. And I will so, absolutely do that. So that that's the goal. We don't have any guests today. Um, we will definitely um, definitely. I don't want to say definitely. I know we have a guest coming for episode two and episode three already. And so cool. I. I 
Um, I don't know about um, some other ones, but we definitely have some more people coming in. So let's start. Let's start, man. Let's just what do you like? I want to start on a positive note, you know, like what do you like about this film? Like why? Why is it drawn to you? Like, like what's the. Like, this is the very first Star Wars movie. Like, it sets the tone for the rest of the, the saga. And so where where are we at with uh, just just kind of overall thoughts about the film? Positive thoughts. Let's go, let's go positive first, and then we oh, can start getting yeah. into the no, negative. No, I'm going to have very few negative things to say about this movie, honestly. Honestly, me too. Which is which is a testament to how good the, the my top four are and why they are so much. They, they also have great stuff, right? But they just their their highs are higher for me than this movie is. Um, what I love about this series and what I think made it so iconic is the intro, right? Mm-hmm. And this notion that you're sitting in a movie theater and this, this you know, it, everything goes dark and then these blue words phase into the screen, right? And it's this gentle, quiet, like one line, half a sentence. And you're like, okay, what's going to happen? Boom! And then the music kicks off and you've got the, the logo flying through space and you're like, what is happening? And it's just... It's like opening the cover of a book, right? It's immediate mm-hmm. and you are there and they give you this brief intro that's like, here's the world, here's what's happening while you are away, which reinforces this concept that the world is a living, breathing thing. And that's going to be something I return to yeah. a lot over the course of this. Like you talked about, it feels alive and, it, mm-hmm. and it, they don't just tell you it's alive. They don't exposition its aliveness at you. They just show it to you. Yeah. So you yeah. get the cold open on on the the the, the ambassador ship on Leia's ship, and then things back off for a bit, and you spend like twenty five or thirty minutes in the desert following some droids and talking to an old man, like, and it's it's like, so you've got the sense of spectacle, the sense of scope and scale, this intergalactic war, <clears throat> and then they they zoom the lens in and they say, but but on a small world nearby, right? And so you're aware of this tension, you're aware of this friction already. And so as an audience, immediately while you're learning about Luke and all this stuff in the back of your mind, you've got this anxiety about this conflict that's happening, right? And so you're like, but the war, but the war, Mm -hmm. but the war. And then Luke says, I want to travel the stars. And you're like, no, the war, Luke. And it's just, you're in it, right? It's immediate. And the exposition that they do use verbally, like with the characters, is all very subtle. It's not like... The ambassador, Leia Organa, must be uh, put into a cell because she is a part of the rebel faction mm-hmm. and we need to know the information she has so we can beat them, right? It's, it's, it's more subtle than that. It feels more, it feels tactile. It just feels more real than that. Yeah, it, the, it doesn't treat you like an idiot, yes. honestly. Like, and it just, sh- and you did such a good job there. It shows you really and i think that's part of like what makes a film so good is the Mm -hmm. show me don't tell me you know like you should be able to show me through a like the environment your sets the production all of that you know the way you color the film like those are all things that are that are vitally important but also Mm -hmm. show me on the actor's face like what they're feeling what they're going through and really i think if you pay attention to to these films almost every single actor is doing an amazing job in all aspects like even the extras and the in the, the supporting actors are like just pay attention to some of the faces that are going on that aren't luke or aren't vader right. or aren't leia and they do a terrific job of reacting to the scene that's going on like really showing you like the gravity and like 
everything that means like so much and how important like this is. It's yep. it's like you can really see it. And I think a prime example of that is like when Ben and Luke are in in right next to the uh, sand crawler and Luke just finds out that they're going. They, they hold on Ben there for a hot second because like he knows like and you could see in his face like the sadness that like brings mm-hmm. it about. And honestly, even Owen, like I think Owen does a great job of, of really like trying to like he's trying to protect protect Luke, maybe not in the way that that Luke needs. Like he may not be there for what he needs, but like he's trying to do the right thing for Luke and, and he can kind of see that and you can kind of see the internal struggle. Like I need him to be here for us, but I also like understand that he's a kid. He needs to like go out. And, right. and it's just everybody like uh, everybody does such a, such a good job of emoting. You know, you mentioned on a commentary, look at Han Solo, what he's doing at the console, like when the yeah. scene's not on him, like everybody in the scenes are they're all acting like nobody is sitting around watching yep. other people act. And, and I think yep. that's that's tremendous. And, and that really carries weight to the to the movie. But it, it, it's something about this like real sets no cgi that just makes the world feel so dirty and grimy and lived in and and you get this contrast to the empire who is everything is so clean and uniform and it's all there and you really get that juxtaposition between mm-hmm. like like this really like bare bones efficient organization that's supposed to be oppressing versus like out in the real like world in the outer rim and that kind of stuff of like this is where the people live and this is like Mm-hmm. the real world and the griminess and everything else. It almost makes the empire kind of feel very fantastical and like, cause it's so different from all the other environments you get to see in this film. Yep. And when you, you know, talk like, about props and you talk about world building, that's called weathering, right? Like you, you, you know, you add in the dirt and the grime and the fade and you scratch things up so they're not perfect. And us, the only things that are really perfect are the uniforms of the empire. Yeah. Like even components of the Empire's buildings get like scuffed and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like the the whole garbage shoot and the notion I, I I am only now recognizing the juxtaposition of the clean facade of the Death Star with the garbage chute that mm-hmm. they have to jump down, right? And how all the grime and the muck is there, it's just politely hidden. Yeah. Yeah, but right. they still have to go through it. Like yeah. you don't get to get off of this clean, you know, like no. you still have to get dirty with this with this to escape. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a few I questions. I just want to mention extras right quick. One of my favorite things yeah. to do in any movie is watch the extras because often it is my greatest source of entertainment in any movie. Mm-hmm. The extras are often terrible they are often like not paying attention they're looking yep. right at the camera they're like off in their own world they're half-assing it like there's so many different ways that extras in group scenes fall short and what i was shocked by is at the end when they're you know conferring about what to do about the death star in the final attack run like everyone in that room is committed to that scene and feels on edge and it's like really listening with bated oh breath. and yeah that, Especially in a movie that, like, is the first of its series, like, that's it, building this universe, you you have to have every member of the cast buy into the narrative or it doesn't sell, right? Everyone has to believe that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And any of these words from any of these characters, if they were not fully committed to, would have would have undermined the entire project. Yeah. I, I think – I think it <laughs> – it does such a great job of, of and I don't want to keep harping on this, but it's you, you get dropped in this world of stuff that's already happening. Like there's already conflict yeah. going on and 
I think if you pay attention to the actors, supporting actors, I think you can really see that more than you can see when you just pay attention to like Luke and Han and Leia. Something like I really want to call out when you're watching this next is the exact same thing Max was talking about. Watch the scene when they're on Yavin 4 and Luke turns off his targeting computer because the faces that the control center has and like their expressions is like, we've just lost, like, what is this kid doing? You know? And like, they understand. And like, this is our shot at the rebellion. Like if this doesn't succeed, I don't like, this is going to be very difficult to come back. Cause they are like, they're minutes, like they're seconds away from the rebellion being totally wiped out, like mm-hmm. gone. You know, it's 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 incredible. I, I I really I don't have a whole lot of negative things to say about this, and I, I, we'll get to that later in some of the films that I have some more issues with. But um, I also want to point out too, I really want to focus on talking about just a new hope. Like I don't want to delve into what this means for like sure. future franchises, and like specifically like when we get to Rogue One, I feel like I want to talk about how Rogue One affects a new hope, but I don't want to mm-hmm. talk about how Rogue One affects new hope when a new hope, like we don't know. So I want to pretend and dry with our, like the most gumption that we have to like exist in a world where a new hope is the only star Wars movie we've seen, you know, kind of like, yeah. So we're going to try, we're going to try to do that. Um, I, I think the pacing of the film was really well. They take the moments to build character and to build, um, those slow moments to really flesh out the world, but in a in a really sensible way. So mm-hmm. when Luke is kind of when Obi Wan is explaining the Force to Luke, it is an exposition dump, but like it's not as much of an exposition dump. A, a, like we need to know what this Force is. Like this is the central like theme. So like we have to have some form of information, and it's not readily apparent. And like and then it's cool because. Obi-Wan info dumps and then you get to see like the force in action when Luke is fighting against the uh, the droid. Yep. And, and I think I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I have I have not a lot of negative things to say about this. I think it's a really good kickstart to the franchise. Um, I really I'm, I'm interested to see where they go next with the next film. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really uh uh, it's hard to talk about Luke with knowing how much he does, but I'm going to try my best to, to talk about him. But, but I really I think he, he, he is a, he's a terrific like opening protagonist. I, I think so. I think he, he's somebody that needs a lot of help, but clearly has like the attitudes to be the hero, mm-hmm. but he has to have support. You know, like he can't do it himself. And I think that's a lot of times get missed in some of these films, especially, um, later on like but I, I feel like a lot of times everything is so left up to just the single hero that it almost becomes outrageously unrealistic yeah that this one person can do this yeah and it's really incredible to me that they built a world immediately that you can you can say oh yeah the force exists okay cool like i believe everything that's going on like i'm not questioning anything that exists in the world that it's not like believable and so there's always that 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 talk that you have you know, with yourself of, mm-hmm. okay, I realize that superheroes don't exist in the way that movies portray them as far as like powers. But like, there is a difference between presenting something that is not real and is imaginative versus presenting something that doesn't feel real. Right. And I yeah, think, absolutely. And I think that's what Star Wars here does really well is that. 
these like even just watching the speeder when you park a speeder it just floats like it doesn't do anything mm-hmm. like if you turn that off that's probably like not going to be the case <laughs> but like i don't care about that like i don't think about that kind of stuff just because i think the way it's structured and everything going on it just feels so good so yeah. man that's my rant about Star Wars. Episode over. We're 10 minutes into it. It's great. Go home. We're listening to it. Uh, I, I pulled up a few <laughs> questions specifically um, that I want to talk about because um, I, I feel like there's two ways we could do this. We could kind of just go through the film and talk about the high points. Or I have a mm-hmm. few questions that I hope will lead us off into some other discussions about this. Let's do it. And so um, as I was taking notes last night, I noticed the I never really thought about this, but the protocol droid that C-3PO sees at the very beginning there as he's walking through like uh-huh. do you think that's their friend and like do you think they were happy to get rid of him like because they look like they came out they came out of the same place they were all lock and step but like c3po is not like oh come over here like he just ignores that person yeah and he's just like oh, i just don't need to be with him anymore they're not my I think, friend anymore I think 3po is an ambassador and i think i think if anybody is going to do a job of like screwing up his opportunity to forge relations he'll let it pass right his, yeah, so i, I can think well, so too. i can well imagine him seeing that droid recognizing that it's either faulty or even crass or rude and then saying mm-hmm. yeah no no thank you no thank you you can't go with me uh-huh. so um what about leia like so let me ask you a question about leia and r2's relationship do you think r2 was leia's droid and like i don't want to get into any future spoilers about this but like, I, I she don't. she used Leia like she used RTD two. She must have some trust in that droid, you know. I think I think she knew about him. I'm not convinced he was her personal droid because he's an astro droid, right? He's he right. exists to work on airships, and so I imagine that they had because she's such a compassionate person, you know. That I I can easily imagine that she met him and they had some cute little conversations and three PM maybe translated or whatever, and she decided. You are a solid little bot. And if anyone is going to be able to carry this message, it's going to be yeah. you. And I think yeah. one of the big reasons she trusted him instead of 3PO is because he isn't speech capable. So he needs a translator, right? And so if she had given it to 3PO, 3PO would have just blurbed it out, right? They could have like gotten it out of him. Whereas R2 under duress is just going to boop and beep. Yeah. So I think well, it was it was a multi-tiered decision that in, in ultimately... Um, creates a, a stronger bond between them. I think their bond grows because of it, but I think she definitely favored him in the beginning. Yeah, I do too. I think, I don't think C-3PO will. I mean, obviously he wasn't up for that mission mm-hmm. at all. And, and, and so I, I also want to ask something else about R2-D2. So when R2-D2 lands on the planet, he gets to tattooing for the very first time. Does he know where Obi-Wan is? Like, can he sense him? Is that yeah. why he moves in a different direction than, than C-3PO? Like, because they have warring like directions of where they want to go, and C three PO doesn't believe R two just like going the right way, and like R two just <laughs> immediately starts going that way. And like I understand he has a tracker, so you can probably read settlements and that kind of stuff, and that's what they say in the film. So I get that, but like I just wanted to do a little deeper and say like, is is that also why R two was chosen? Like maybe I'm trying. I understand. I, I think I think what I'm doing is I'm taking future knowledge of what I understand exists in the Star Wars movie and applying right. it to this one, right? Because um, I think it was just like let's we need to figure out a way to get this plot device here to here so I let's also, use droids i also kind of imagine that she r2 is very purposed right mm-hmm. he is very he's very single-minded about his tasks and that's what makes him effective so i don't think it was necessarily the fact 
that he was going to head off in the right direction that made her pick him. I think it was the fact that he was going to keep going yeah. in whatever direction he went in. Right. He needs to. And like, as yeah. he continues and gains more information, then he adjusts his course. But he's like he's not going to stop. Right. He's like the, the, the Energizer bunny. There's a lot of parallels there. He just doesn't <laughs> yeah. give up. There are a lot of parallels there. I never, mm-hmm. never recognize that. Um, <laughs> one thing I really like about the very earlier scenes of it is um, I, th- it, I didn't notice until I watched it last night. But I think it does a good job of showing how serious the rebellion is immediately. Mm-hmm. When the when the Empire stumbles upon uh, Leia for the first time in the ambassador ship, they say, you know, set your set your weapons to stun. Mm-hmm. And when you see Leia shoot, she's not shooting to stun. Like she's shooting to kill. And yep. so like the and I think that that's something that really brings Leia's character like immediately out to it. It's like, no, she is here and she is serious. She has a mission. Mm-hmm. She has to get it done. This is what we needs to do. You know, like we are here for the rebellion. I'm going to take every action she, I possibly can. She's not just it. a titular princess. She's a soldier. No, she is. Yeah, she's she a leader. she knows how to use weapons. I know. It's wonder. Like, I I really like Leia a lot. I think she's mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters in, in all the franchise. Um, <laughs> like, she's, I mean, other than Jar Jar Binks, you know, but we'll get to him mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing that I, I, I wrote this down here and I got to the later half of the movie and I want to show how cool this is. So in the opening sequence two, they talk about um capturing leia and capturing her and what does that look like to the galactic senate and does mm-hmm. this do you think the senate will give the rebellions or the, the the rebels sympathy because of that and, and it's just a small line but it's connected in the second part of the film when um they're talking and i think it's peter cushing general general tarkin who comes in and talks to vader about it or talks to somebody else and it says the emperor has dissolved the Senate for good. We no longer have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And so they took something that was, and it's just a beautiful, I think, piece of script writing of like, they laid this groundwork at the beginning of the film that said, isn't this going to like actually cause issues in some place? Like this could be bad for us. And mm-hmm. then you immediately get to see 35 minutes later. It's like, no, this isn't going to matter. We thought it may matter, but actually we took care of it already. We dissolved the Senate. So like, they're yeah. not going to care if we blow up Alderaan because they don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And it really made me think about like, so the, the, the years that exist from like when the empire took over to when the empire is now, like they're still trying to function as a Senate. And I thought that was really interesting that <clears throat> Palpatine wasn't able to like take immediate control of it mm-hmm. and, and, and really come, come take that over. And so, yeah, I think we'll I, talk about talk more, speak more to that in the prequel series. Oh, yeah. So no, we absolutely will. For sure. I just wanted to mention in that here. because I had I definitely have some thoughts about that. Yeah. So I will. I just I thought I, I really wanted to celebrate the script writing there more than anything mm-hmm. else is just the the re, the care it took from to lay the groundwork early in the film and really to call back to it in a really small way. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that that that's. This film does really well. There's not a ton. Of, there's p- definitely plot holes, but I would say there's not a lot of script holes as far as like characters not making sense and like saying things that don't come back. Like the script feels pretty tight that we're not getting a lot of superfluous like information. It, it, it mm-hmm. feels like there's not a lot of scenes in there that don't that don't matter. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, speaking of plot holes, I want to talk about plot holes for a second. I wrote a few down. Oh, boy. And and I have I have a couple of answers for something. So the escape pod, the, the classic pothole of not shooting an escape pod 
just because it doesn't have people in it. And here's my answer for it. And you can let me know what you think. I think escape, escape pods malfunction because they're incredibly like complicated as mm-hmm. far as like the inner workings of a spaceship and stuff just goes wrong. So maybe they thought a uh, escape pod just happened to malfunction. So like, oh, so there's no reason to like shoot that one. And for them to assume that requires some sort of precedent that in the military industrial complex that escape pods just arbitrarily jettison. <laughs> Yeah, like, I love the idea that this just happens every few weeks on Imperial vessels. Like, yeah, oh, there goes another escape pod. Well, I do, too, because I think it lays the groundwork of like, like the Empire, like has gone to these these machines that are mass produced, you know, like everything looks exactly the same. There's no flair to anything. It's all just gray, dark, red, black, monotone colors. And they're going to try to build all their stuff efficiently so they can take over the galaxy. Like they're not going to maybe build the most quality things because who cares if a stormtrooper dies? Like they're just going to get another one. <laughs> yep. You know, also something that's really interesting to notice too, it, when they are talking through the millennium Falcon, um, when they're uh, the scene, when they're escaping the death star. And I thought this was really cool. They call down to a student stormtrooper and they say TK 111 or something like that. And that means that that stormtrooper, they don't have names. So already in the universe, they are labeling them as just labels. Like you can see mm-hmm. how disposable the Empire feels about these stormtroopers. Absolutely. And that's, and that's why I feel like, yeah, there, there's going to be an escape pod. You know, like just malfunctioning. Absolutely. And I think that's why they didn't shoot it. And I'm, I'm going to go full in on that. And I, I believe it. Yeah. And I think... I think it says a lot too. It's a com- it's a commentary on the Empire's arrogance as well mm-hmm. that they don't I th- think anything could go wrong. And it's like, well, we checked all the boxes and nothing's wrong, so whatever, right? And honestly, like if if you know there was an order to retrieve it, like they might be valuable enough that you send a retrieval crew to go down and pick it up again, right? Like maybe it's valuable enough that it's worth not shooting, right? Maybe maybe those systems are time consuming enough that the the cost of retrieving it is lower than the cost of building a new one. Oh yeah, so there's Absolutely. probably those components of it too that you know are being those decisions are being made and prioritized in a system as large as that. Yeah, as as the empire. No, I, I definitely agree. Also, the fact that like you would just assume that there'd be some sort of APB out on these droids, and like mm-hmm. you like the empire would get to like the point to be able to communicate what these droids look like, or or do they have no idea what they look like? I never even considered that before. Do they not know what they look like? I just kind of assumed that they knew it was C three PO and R D two R two D two, but I don't think they know what they look like. Like probably I, I, not. Yeah, they I probably think care, just, they probably care less about droids than they do about troopers. They do. I'm sure they care less about droids than they do about troopers. That little black droid that scurries around the Death Star. Do you think that's a mail delivery droid? And that's why it goes through like all the tiny walls and stuff. Yes. Of, of, like, that's always what I've imagined is he's a messenger droid of some kind. He's yeah. some sort of messenger droid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or or yeah. some sort of ventilation maintenance droid. Or he just goes around and makes sure that there's no debris in the ductwork. Yeah. Those have always been my two assumptions about him. Yeah. Um, those are my only two plot holes. The other rest of the movie is perfect. Yeah. There's no other yeah. plot holes whatsoever. Not 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 a not a ventilator shaft to blow up a, a Death Star conveniently. Actually, I don't really consider that a plot hole, honestly, because if you ever worked with anything that has extreme amount of heat, you have to vent that. Mm-hmm. Like especially and, something of that scale, working with heats as high as that. Like, yeah, to charge and, a weapon that large and that dangerous, 
you absolutely have to be able to get some get all that heat gone somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really honestly have no issue with that. I think that's actually a pretty clever idea, and I don't think that's that's an issue at all. Um, mm-hmm. What do we think about? Um, let's talk about the force. Let's let's I get into this. It. I love it. Let's get into the force. My- and they knock it out very early. Like Ben Ben explains it in the desert in like three sentences. He's like it's in around everything. It composes everything. It is life, right? So yeah, I have a big question about this, and this is something I've been waiting to talk about because I noticed it um, a few months ago when I was watching Star Wars, and I haven't had anybody to really get into it about yet. <laughs> so the Force is something that permeates and is surrounded and really is part of all living things. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's the general idea of the force. And so somebody who is force sensitive has the ability to recognize what that is and can manipulate the force inside of those things. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, ask you something. Can the force be channeled through droids? No. So how does Darth Vader channel the force through his mechanical hand and choke people? We don't know that he has a mechanical hand, so we'll talk about that later. Dang, that's true. Let's take we'll table that until until maybe Empire or mm-hmm. maybe even Revenge of the Sith. The moment Sith. it becomes relevant, we talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I have an answer already, and I think it will be satisfactory for you. I, I just I've struggled with that a lot. I'm trying to figure out how 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 Vader can go through all that kind of stuff. But 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 um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see when we get to that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I have an answer. Uh, if you didn't listen to us when we did the commentary, Max and I were arguing about whether we thought the paint in the desert scene was intentional. I absolutely think it is now because that's a set. That's yeah. not in the desert. And <laughs> and the ceiling when they're eating lunch together is painted the same as the outside. Well, when, when I meant was like intentional as in like they're for, not painting white for 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 um, his aunt and uncle. Oh, you think that? Okay, yeah. Like, that's what is the in the in the in world? Oh, the lore, the lore okay. description and context for like why that is relevant. Like, is it only the bottom parts that, of the house that get overheated, and so you paint them white to keep to keep the cooler to keep them? Oh, slightly cooler? yeah, that's a great you idea. You know, yeah. like uh, those. That's just the question behind that. Yeah. No, no, I think I think that's that's a good answer. I never thought about that before. You know, <laughs> here to help. All right. Yeah. Um. So, Max, this is the this is the beginning of each character's journey with us, mm-hmm. and we get to see them. So let's let's talk about some characters here for a second. So, what do we think about Luke? You know, just in this film, you know, he's an eager young person who wants to help out and wants to join the fight and wants to be a part of things and is thrust into this position that that he is. Um, like, what makes Luke right for this role? Like what makes him the central part and like other than like he just happened to be next to Obi-Wan when it happens, you know, like yeah. wh- where are his qualities that really, really serve him? Because I, I, I think I have a few. He's he is incredibly trusting of people like immediately. Yes. And I well, think he's not like, incredibly trusting of, of Han at all. No. <laughs> so I think that's one of the detriments and like really does not detriment, but I think that really actually fleshes out Luke's character a lot. I think Luke yeah. thinks he's better than Han. I think like, Luke is intuitive. I think Luke has a, a good sense of people. And I think he has a, which is weird for a kid who grew up in the desert. Right. Right. 
I don't know, man. I think Luke sees Han as a scoundrel and a smuggler, and he doesn't mm. think those are worthy professions to be in. And, and like he doesn't I think he looks down like on Han's like this piece of junk. You're going to fly us in this. And then he makes a comment about how Han could never like be with Leia at all. Like, I really mm-hmm. think that comment it speaks more to Luke talking down to Han than it is to him just like buddying up to him. Like, no, you'd never get with her. Like, I just the, the way I read that just kind of makes me feel like. But like I think that it's attributed to the fact that he is a kid like. Mm-hmm. He, he is somebody who has these ideas and these grand concepts of the things. And, and, you know, he's, he's talented. He, he's yeah. the best push pilot in the outer rim, you know, like he's been told that he's good at these things. Mm-hmm. And so to come against a different pilot who probably is far superior to him in all of his skills, he may feel a little inadequate or like want to prove himself against Han and show like how, like how Definitely. he is. And I, I think Definitely. that, that, that comes to fruition too, when Han and Luke are, fighting the tie fighters and luke goes through and gets all excited for killing one tie fighter and Han's like don't get cocky man like that's one mm-hmm. like come on like you know how many tie fighters i've killed like or destroyed yep. you know and so yeah. I, I just i really i think this really lays down the, like the groundwork and trying not to look forward at all like just luke who he is right now you know, like immediately they set the precedent of him not wanting to be on Tatooon. He wants to get off of that planet. He yep. doesn't want to be there. He's he, you know, like the only thing that was holding him there was his 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 really his respect for his 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 parents. You know, I mean, they're the people that raised him, you know, like I know mm-hmm. biologically not, but they are, you know, in all intents and purposes, his parents. And I think Luke really respects it. And I think he has a lot of respect for people, too. You know, like he's. He's an all around good dude. You know, he has his issues. He always looks forward. You know, it's even in like throughout the whole film, you always feel like he's, you know, I want to go to the academy. I don't want to be the farm anymore. Oh, what happened to all around? And I want to go to all around and experience this. He's always wanting to go out and do stuff. You could tell he's very dissatisfied with his life and he needs to he needs to move forward. Um, Move forward in this. But but yeah. yeah, like what? So other than the fact that like he's intuitive, like what makes Luke the hero, though, like is it just because he's there? Is it because he's like, is part of his lineage? Like we know he has some sort of Jedi heritage to him and lineage. So he's probably force sensitive a little bit, you know, in this film, we know he has heritage, you know, like we we talked about how his, how his dad was, um, was a Jedi Knight as well. But, but I just like, I'm, I'm trying to, to get into the psyche of Luke a little bit. And like, he's just a good, like he's what I want my hero to be with flaws. Like he is a flawed hero, and I, I, but not flawed enough where he's not going to get the job done. You know? Yeah, and I think one of the biggest pitfalls you fall into when you've got a, a sort of ambitious young boy like this is they become they're arrogant, right? And they mm-hmm. they alienate the audience. And I don't think he's ever he's ever really arrogant. He's no. eager. He's eager, right? He yeah. wants an opportunity to prove himself. And he takes it every chance he gets. And I think that's the big difference is he doesn't he doesn't rush off and do something reckless until the very end. And that's like a, a final this final commitment to his his journey. That's his right? that's and, his and, transformation. Right. Like the then, end when he turns off the tech, that's him giving into the force and saying, this is the path I want to move forward to. And that's, I, I believe, a firm, a firm bit of what Ben means when he says, if you strike me down, I will be stronger than you can ever oh. imagine. Right. Yes. No, I, is, I think I, like, we're going to get into that later in the films for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's just this notion that like I I am more 
because of my legacy than I can be as a soldier, right? And the, Luke embodies that. So when when he hears Ben's voice and he remembers Ben and he's like, uh, you know, it was all for nothing. What am I going to do? I'm so scared. And all this flashes before him and he remembers Ben's words. Because I'm not convinced that that was like, that I think I think that was just Ben's, his memory of Ben, right? You I don't think, think that, that was Ben reaching memory. out through the force? No, I think that really? was just his memory. Yeah. But I think I think in in I think it was all he needed because I think that's part of what makes Luke so strong is he's e- so eager that all he needs is that little push, and he picks up he pays attention to the right things. So like he pays attention to the scoundrel that they're teaming up with, right? He's skeptical of him. He pays attention to this princess that needs them. He pays attention to the details, and like he's he's always looking for the opportunities to fill the gap. Mm-hmm. To like plug the hole, right? He's like, "Where are we falling short? I'll help fix it." And and eventually he plugs the main hole, and then <laughs> greatest segue of all time. Thank um, you. I disagree a little bit, just on the fact that I think I think that's I've always assumed that's been Ben's voice, mm-hmm. like always. Like I, I, I've never really considered it as as a memory. Uh, of what he says. Yeah. <sighs> and either way it works. I think no, it does. Me, but for me, my understanding of this movie, like standalone with no other movies inherent in it and like expected is, is that that was Luke remembering Ben. That's mm-hmm. all that was. And I think his memory, his closeness to Ben was strengthened by the force. And so that memory maybe bubbles up stronger than it would otherwise. But I don't think that's Ben's effort. I think that's Luke's, that's Ben's imprint on Luke. I think that's Ben's impression on Luke that he okay. left him with. That was his so gift to Luke. Let's let's move down past this a little bit. Why did Ben give himself up to Vader? Like, like because that literally that's why. Yeah. So like he says, he says, strike me down. And you see this moment at the end where he's peaceful about it, right? And there he pauses and he lowers his saber. Mm-hmm. He lowers his guard and he lets Vader strike him down. Because he knows that the only way that he's going to get what he wants is if he gets out of the way. And I think that's tremendous. Because otherwise, if he sticks around too long, Luke might keep leaning on him. He might try to, you know, and he's got he's got a lot of baggage that we have to talk about later around this concept of being an instructor. So I'm not sure he's ready for the job either. And so he's like, he's 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 identifying the biggest impact he can have and pursuing it. And I think by letting Vader strike him down, he does two things. He 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 enlarges his own impact on Luke's life, right? All the musicians get and artists get fam- more famous after they're dead. Um and the anger and the frustration and that the resolve that that loss creates for Luke, even after the short time that they spend together is is also enough to push him in the right direction, right? It gives him it gives him an extra layer of motivation, a personal, uh, not necessarily vendetta, but a reason to join the fight. Yeah. So, do you think he was he was helping him push him forward for to the rebellion, or do you think he was helping him push forward to the force? Because I'm I'm trying to figure out who trains him after that. I think like I think they're tied. I think the force is like in in this world the forces like balance in life and all that stuff right and i think pushing 
pushing him towards the force does push him towards the rebellion because the force is all about balance and the empire mm-hmm. is too powerful. Right. Right. I, I've, I've always kind of looked at what Ben's plan for Luke is after he mm-hmm. gives himself up. Cause obviously we have other movies, but we don't know that here. So, so in just this context, I, I don't know if, if Ben was trying, like, because he was training Luke in the Force on the Millennium Falcon on the way to Alderaan. So was it at the point when they got to Alderaan and realized that it was gone, that he switched tasks and was like, okay, I need... Or do you think Ben was always going there to die? No, like, I do not. I think Ben I think Ben was going to fight in the best way he could for as long as he could. And okay. he, only, he only drops his guard. If you watch him in that fight scene, he only drops his guard after he sees Luke. Right. He looks yes. over and he sees that they're there watching. And that's when he says, okay... Let's do it this way. And and that that sacrifice, that willingness to sort of throw himself on the pyre to keep them warm is is what helps push Luke in the direction that he needs to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I Mike, my, my, I think my question to that also is if you pay attention to, to, to Ben when they are on Tatooine and when Luke talks about him wanting to learn the ways of the force and wanting to come with him to all around. Look at Ben's face. Like it's almost a sadness that mm-hmm. he that he's experiencing of like, I will show you this, but it may take more from you than you think. You know, like I, I don't know if that's the intention, but I don't know if I don't know if Ben is really trying to push him super towards the force at the end there. Cause I don't I think Ben is still, like you said, I think he's reluctant to be his trainer. And and I think you see that on Tatooine, like really pay attention to his face next time. Like, I just feel like there's a big sadness you can feel in Ben when Luke decides to come, like not come with him, but like learn the ways of the force and fully commit to it. And maybe I'm totally off. I'm just reading into some, you know, weird facial choice that, that Alec Guinness, you know, decided to choose in that scene. But he, Alec Guinness doesn't make random facial choices. Alec Guinness yeah. chooses every movement of every muscle on his body in every scene. So maybe he's he just understanding like the gravity of what Luke's decision just meant and yes. not, not sad for him, but understanding like, okay, what this means for this kid going forward and like his, his future now. Yeah. Um, cause I, you know, does like, cause he obviously has baggage and we can talk more about it later, but he's obviously got baggage that weighs on him heavily. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to have to be driven to reclusion like that. Yeah. So understanding that you are now back about to dive back into the world is hard enough when you've exiled, you know, when you've got a guy living in self-imposed exile and then he pushes himself back out into the world and to recognize that not only are you pushing yourself back out into the danger, but you're dragging this ignorant, a- ambitious little kid with you. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's a, it's a huge labor. It's a lot. Uh, of yeah, I think so. Energy. Cause Ben, Ben knows what's going to happen. Not uh-huh. what's going to happen, but like Ben knows what he's getting himself and Luke into when right. they decide to leave. And I, I do think that, that like, yeah, this is the choice you're going to make, but I, I, and I'll be here with you, but I, I do, I do yeah. think so. Um, do you think Han has the biggest character change from the beginning to the end? As far as who he was when we first meet him to who he was afterwards, because I kind of feel like he's somewhat consistent throughout. Um, I know the turn for him at the very end, but I want to call to you on the Death Star when Han decides to chase after the stormtroopers to allow Luke and Leia to escape. And that little scene right there is already showing like that he's willing to 
to put himself in danger. Put himself in danger to help others. Out, and to yeah, say, outside of the bounds, the bounds of the job. Outside right? of the, yes, outside of the bounds of the job for sure. Right. You know, it's it's so when he comes back and saves, I feel like it's supposed to be this big turn for Han, and in a way it absolutely is, but I do think he was always gonna come back. Like I don't know if there's a world where Han flies off and meets Jala to pay off his debts. Well, I think I think he's a really impulsive human. Okay. Right? And you kind of have mm-hmm. to be to to want to live on your own and live by your own rules. You're, you're you're self-deterministic, right? And so in that moment where he 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 uses himself as a distraction, I think he's caught up in the excitement of it all. Like he's bitching at Leia the whole time about this is crazy. I can't believe we're here. Would you shut up and all this stuff? But he's like, mm-hmm. he's obviously having fun. Oh, he's having a great time. Yeah, <laughs> he loves being like, there. Yeah, he's a kid in a candy store. He is messing up. And he loves to be able to do that and to have an impact, right? He is he is having an impact because his mask is off at that point. And so people will remember his face. And that's what he gets off on is this notion that's like, yeah, you remember me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to have some stories to tell my friends back home, right? And so I think he's caught up in it and having fun. And that might be for himself as much as it is for them. And then he like gets a hold of himself and he gets his feet back on solid ground and he sees the the payout for his job. And he's like, oh. Yeah, I'm done here. <laughs> like, this is too rich for my blood. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> right? He cools down a little bit. And then he, he bounces. And then he has this moment of realization on the way out that's like, actually, maybe I wasn't just excited. Maybe I do care. Yeah. I, I like to believe Chewie also has something to do with that, too. As yeah, convincing Han sure. to go oh, back. For sure. for sure, you know? And I definitely believe, too, that, like, this isn't the first time he has made compassionate decisions. I think, no. I think he very much tries to be the cool guy in the bar who doesn't care about anybody. And I think over and over again, his conscience and his partner pull him into mm-hmm. situations where they make a difference. Yeah, I think he makes a wonderful scoundrel. Like, mm-hmm. like he just I think he makes a he's one of the most like terrific characters of that archetype. Like, right. it's, And he really is a whetstone for Luke, like you were saying earlier, to kind of like sharpen himself against because he's like he's worldly. But he's not that kind of jaded, cynical, worldly where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter, kid. Nothing matters. You know, it's not like dismissive. It's like you got to get smart so you can stay alive. Right. Mm -hmm. And it feels so much more believable than just being like a bitter person who lost a family member or something. Because we, you know, for most of this movie, we don't know almost anything about his past. Mm -mm. We just know that he's selfish, except for when he's not. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, we don't. We don't. Other than like the the screen crawl that you get at the beginning, you don't really yep. know a whole lot about any of these folks' pasts, you know. Yep. And like, and that's part of the reason why I think the movie works so well. As I talked about earlier, it's just it feels like you're just being dropped into this conflict, and it's going, and it's already like, like I feel like everything is working so well together a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, mm-hmm. and you're just dropped into like, yeah, okay, it could be like this. This Death Star was going to blow up whether or not I was watching it or not. You yep. know, like it's going to exist out there, whether or not I have the the chance to uh, to to see it as well. Yeah. Um, you have any other questions? I'm looking at them. I, I've been kind of jumping around for some for some of them. Hmm. Um, because I have plenty more stuff to talk about. I just want to make sure that we cover the questions you want to cover. Yeah, no, absolutely. Questions. I just wrote down questions to make sure we kept the conversation going in case and, and just things that I was looking at. Um, I'm going to get to this later. That's a question for later movies because because huh. it, it takes more knowledge than, than we have right now. Yeah, good. Um, I appreciate that. 
Um, and let's see here, let's let's go through Leia real quick, and then I want to get to some of the things you have to talk about more. Cool. And then we'll just kind of do deca. You know, I like to decompress kind of the the characters of where they're at the beginning of the film versus where they're at the end, and see if we actually made any progress with them, um, and that kind of stuff. I also discovered the scene where. Um, that stormtrooper hits his head on the the ceiling or the door. Oh, it's when yeah. it's it's when they walk into the room where C three PO and R two D two are at, and they like discover them like in the closet. Okay. Yeah, you definitely got to pay attention to that man. It's it's so great. Like it's a wonderful little little. He just walks right into it. It's just it's so it's awesome. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so we don't. We, Leia has. I really like Leia. Like I said, she's one of my favorite characters. I think she is. I think she does as much to save herself after being out of the cell as Han and Luke do to save her. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's really important in the film. And like to make your your quote unquote damsel in distress, like to be able to like. The distress part is the fact that she currently can't get out of her cell. Once she's out of right. her cell, she is on and she is mm-hmm. there with you and she's part of the group. And, and I, I think that adds so much to the film because you don't just have this third character that doesn't do anything. You have every single person has something to do and they all have purpose in the movie. Like there's not a whole lot of fluff for characters that, that don't have some sort of purpose or even straight one dimensional folks, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't I don't know how much, you know, and you're much better at recognizing character stuff than I am for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, my 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 talent when it comes to watching movies is this this the I want to get into the philosophy of the force and whether Vader can <laughs> can mm-hmm. n- not so much the character development, but I do like to get into um yeah, Leia, she's quick on her feet. Do you think she makes much growth from the from the where we meet her to to when she or do you think that like we see her in a situation that is not necessarily like she's captured and then once we get back, like I think you can see her at the beginning in her element and mm-hmm. at the end in her element and then in the middle when she's getting rescued and she's doing that kind of stuff, she's one of the soldiers with them. But I really like I like the gravity she brings to to the role. I feel like she's a she like acts to me like royalty should should act and not yeah, she just, has a she has she, fierce dignity. She's not she just has. like a princess, you know, like she's, right. yeah, no, I like Leia a lot. Same. She's a phenomenal character. And I, I agree with you about the damsel in distress thing. And I think a lot of the characters are very self-reliant, which mm-hmm. I think works. It doesn't feel like they're making up for each other's shortcomings. It feels like they're watching each other's backs. Yes. Right. And I think that's a big difference that helps it to feel exciting because mm-hmm. you're not, you're not so hyper-focused on everybody's foibles or whatever. And they're not so busy. They're not so busy trying to humanize everybody that they're pointing out their shortcomings to each other for us mm-hmm. as much. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't even talking about like like Han's shortcomings about him being, you know, more a little bit impulsive and leaving the reward and not joining the fight. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they didn't do like they didn't like Luke said something to him because Luke is frustrated that he can't see what Luke sees. Like that's like right. Luke is angry at Han because he thinks that he sees like no other option. Like, like right. Han, what do you mean? Like we don't like, cause Luke doesn't exist in the world in between the lines. Like Han does like Han mm-hmm. exists in between the empire and the Senate and the rebellions. Like he's not something that's on one side or the other, you know? 
Yes. And I don't think Luke has that ability to see yet inside the lines of like where Han exists and be okay with that. I think he's like, well, if you're not fighting with the rebellion, you're not helping us. Like it's he's a kid. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. He, he's very black and white in his thinking. The world doesn't exist in shades of gray for him. No, no, not at all. And it's very much and it's very much so like he gets really frustrated. And Han at the end is just like, Luke, like, I, I, like, may the force be with you. Like, I, mm-hmm. like I, I still like I still care about you. And like, I want you guys to succeed, but I can't be a part of this, you know? Yep. Um, yep, absolutely. And, and yeah. he does. He does say, may the force be with you. And he means it. Right. He's he does. Like, I, I watch it again. And he means it. Yeah, and he's not saying he's not saying I hope I hope you you know this thing I don't believe in exists for your sake. He's saying I believe in you who believes in this thing. So I'll say this thing to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I do too and I I think as much as Luke doesn't want to show it in that scene, like he kind of dismisses him a little bit there. Mm-hmm. He um because he's mad, he, right? Because he's he is mad. mad, but but he gets it, you know. And and who knows? Maybe that may the force be with you line helps him when he's on the trench run, you know. Like yep. okay, he remembers what Han says to me. Like okay, I need to I need to get like tap into the force. Like this is yeah. going to help me. Um, yeah, I, I I love it. What do you have to talk about, man? What what are your thoughts on on? I want to talk about villains for a minute. I want to talk okay, about let's do we it. We talked about heroes and sort of their components, but we haven't really talked about the villains. And I think. Especially for a faceless villain, like with Vader, like mm-hmm. making faceless villains scary is hard because it and also easy, I guess, because by dehumanizing them, you make them more imposing because there's not the similarities to relate to. Right. So I get that. But there's also this component of like when you're behind a mask, like they talk about a lot in. uh what is it? Uh, the Mandalorian, they talk a lot about how hard it is to be a character actor behind a mask the whole time, right? And how hard it is to be a believable person mm-hmm. behind a mask the whole time. And I think all of the troopers do a very good job. I thought the first time as a kid when I watched this, I thought the troopers were droids. I thought the troopers weren't real. So I f- fell into that trap early on because they were all so like lockstep, right? With all the goose stepping, you know, sort of indicative of like World War II Germany. Um, but watching it now and hearing their voices and the way they sort of joke with each other and shrug at each other and stuff, it's like they have no idea what they're doing. Everybody is just kind of making it up mm-hmm. as they go along, which is fascinating to me. So the notion that, you know, some when when they they're walking around in their stormtrooper disguises and they're waving their hands and giving the thumbs up and stuff that other other members of the Imperium are just like, oh, OK. Right. They just. Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? Because, again, yeah. it's that arrogance. And also, I think the ignorance that exists when you've got a machine so massive that each gear has such a minute cross section of um, mm-hmm. skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you just trust that everyone else is going to do what they're going to do and that the system's going to work. And I think this is a great example of how that one one sprung gear or, you know, one tiny little stick in the in the engine can just destroy the entire thing. Um. But so, they're fun and they're like they have these little interactions and they're they're really enjoyable. And then Vader himself is like he's a real character. Like he has these interactions and he gets frustrated and you can feel him be reactionary and you can feel him be human. Right. And doing all of that, especially with such an intense voice and an intimidating suit is hard to do. Right. Because yeah. it's so tempting as an actor to just be like, I am scary. Be afraid of me. And he doesn't. He's like, 
he he makes it all very real. I have and a question for you too on this. I love that about Vader. Yes, I do too. So I'll make a comment, and that's my question. I think one of the cool things about Vader too is that um, they do a great job of showing how powerful he is without getting his full level. Yep. Like you know that what you see is only a fraction of what he can do, and if yep. he wanted to, he could wipe out that entire court, like that entire office party room, like that meeting that they were all at, talking about the Death Star and the plans and everything and how it's operational. And he starts choking the guy. Like, it's it's really just a yeah. I want to. We need to show how like Vader can manipulate the Force and how powerful he can be without like showing the true extent of the power, which I think adds to how scary he is. Like this is a fraction of what he can do. Think about if like we ever, like if you get to see him just totally go out, you know, and he is, he's very much like a, a, a living embodiment of Chekhov's gun, which is like, if you see a gun on the mantelpiece in the act one, it's going to be fired by act four, right? Mm -hmm. Or it gets fired at act three, something like that. Anyway, you know that he's a loaded weapon and, and he's just there. Yeah. constantly and he's like from that first scene where he rolls in through that door and starts like issuing orders and, and making stuff happen but then you find out that he's checked by the political power of the Imperium mm-hmm. and that he is not free to do what he wants and you sense that frustration in him <laughs> yes. already that he he's like let me do this and everyone's like no we'll let everything we've got it under control and he's like oh my gosh just get out of my way I'll kill them all okay. it's fine so here's my question who is the real villain? Like the number one, if we had to put a top villain of this movie, do you think that villain is Vader or do you think it's Tarkin? Oh, it's absolutely Tarkin. It's Tarkin, right? Like Tarkin yes. is the antagonist of this yes. film and Vader yes. is there to kind of, I think Vader is there for a few reasons. He looks amazing. Um, yes. That suit is one of my favorite, like full body, like bad guy suits. Yep. It looks awesome. And the yep. voice is really cool and everything about it. I love Vader. But I, I really think because Tarkin, Tarkin is in command of Vader and Tarkin makes the call and Tarkin makes all of the decisions that lead to the rebels like struggles. Like he's the one that blows up Alderaan. He's the one that searches the droids. Like he is like the one that is like pushing things forward. Um, so I, I do think Tarkin is the main villain in this outside of just like the giant empire. Like we have the empire and then like when we get down to who the characters are inside, I absolutely think it's Tarkin. And I think Tarkin is a tremendous villain. Like they do not to the fact that Peter Cushing's incredible. Like I can't honestly cannot believe the quality of actors they've gotten in this film for an independent like film, like a sci-fi like try the testament to the fact that they got Peter Cushing and Han Solo, like Harrison Ford and Alec Guinness. And like, now I understand Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Luke were very much so not as known, you know, back then. But at least Ford was in American Graffiti, you know? And so, yeah, I, I love Tarkin. My favorite scene with Tarkin is really just the end. When when he just, he's he has his hand on his, on his chin. And it, he doesn't say anything. He's just looking, but you can just feel all of the emotions he's going through and you can sense like what he's thinking like this this is better work like i and like he's so confident but you can kind of see a little bit he's a, he's quiet because he's he knows that it would work if they get to it. he's just not sure if they're going to get away with it and i think that little bit of doubt that peter cushing decided to show there is is really impactful for Tarkin. i think you're on mute 
Absolutely. I totally agree. A million percent. Yeah. His, 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 his subtlety is what yes. makes him great. And obviously his face, right? He's got a very evil looking face with mm-hmm. those pronounced cheekbones and his thin lips and his big sort of like upturned eyes, um, his imperious brow. But he's so, he, he just like radiates authority. Mm-hmm. Right. And he radiates self-assurance. And he's like, he is very clearly a military man who has n- never known defeat. Yeah. Right. And so like you were talking about, it makes it that much more meaningful when he spins around and has that moment of like. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Because you can see it even as they're fighting. You can kind of mm-hmm. see the doubt that he has of like, I don't know if this was the best call that we should have yeah. made, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was he's right. It's not a call they should have made. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that that speaks to what you're talking about earlier is the arrogance of the Empire. And, and and you'll see that throughout some of these films is just how arrogant they are, that they think they're always going to be right and they're always going to work. Um, yeah. All right. Excellent. So what other villains do we have? Do we have anybody else besides the Empire and Tarkin and Vader? I'm trying to think the 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 stand the Tuscan Raiders are, aren't Jabba Jabba. Yes, let's get into that a little bit. What do you think about the special editions in Jabba and all of that? Uh, I don't remember. It's been so long since I saw the original that I would actually have to go back and look at that. So let me pull that up right quick because that would actually be a lot of fun. So that scene doesn't exist in the original. Oh. <laughs> so Which, what happened? The entire what, scene with Jabba doesn't exist? Yeah, so what happened, what happened with that scene is that scene was filmed as Jabba was a human. And they digitally went over the top of that actor who played Jabba with the, the actual Jabba the Hutt. And so that's why when Han says you're a beautiful human or, you know, you're a great human Jabba, it's not a joke. It's I mean, it is. But like he he is human uh, when they film it. So that's uh, why that dialogue that scene to me, honestly, out of all the special edition stuff s- speaks to me the most about that. That scene feels like a deleted scene. Yeah. It's it's I feel like it has a little less quality than all the other ones do. Like, it's just (coughs) it doesn't necessarily feel out of place. It just doesn't feel like it. It felt like it was cut for a reason, you know, and and I don't know. I don't know how much we actually needed that film, that scene in it. Like, what do you think? Do you like that scene a lot? That's it's my least favorite scene in all the in in the whole film. Which scene? Sorry, I'm watching. I'm watching the OG Jabba with the human. It's really confusing. It's confusing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and that's so that OG scene's not in the theatrical release. Like they cut that scene. I need to watch that later. So what scene yeah. were you speaking to just now? Sorry. That scene. The scene that you're watching right now, that's the scene I think doesn't need to be in the film. I like it. I think it is necessary, and I'll tell you why I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary because you need to understand a little bit about how Han operates. Because y- you come out of the scene with with the canteen and you're like, I'm not sure we can trust him, right? He shoots Greedo. He's obviously capable, but still don't know if we can trust him. I'm, I'm in, I'm in team Luke coming out of the canteen. I'm like, I'm not sure if we can trust this Mm -hmm. guy. I'm not sure this is a good decision. And then you see that scene with Java and you're like, Oh, this is absolutely not a good decision. Yeah. Like he is absolutely a liar and not a trustworthy human at all. Right. And I love the idea that like, there could be some duplicity there. Like there could be some things passing between them that we don't even know about that could maybe be red herrings to the plot. So for me, it's really 
valuable, not just because it gives you a sense of Han as as he is on his own, because that's really the only scene. That's the only time you see Han without any of the other characters. Right. In the scene with him. Right. And so I think it was important for him to have a scene where you see how he operates when he's on his own. Is. Is we're going to talk about this when watch Return of the Jedi. That may be the only scene Han ever operates by himself. Other than when he gets tortured. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think that, it's, that's a little bit more impactful now. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, because it, it also creates that sense of scope, right? You're talking about, like, talking about ships and interstellar travel. And it's like, one of the things I'm thinking about when he's like, I've got a ship. It's like, where? Where do you just keep a ship? You just you yeah. know, park it on the outside of the city or what? And then you see that there's this hangar and there's, like, all these maintenance docks around it. And it's like, oh, this is actually, like, a spaceport sort of situation. Right. And I love that. And I think it's great world building. And you get that cross section of all the different characters and stuff walking around Jabba and walking around him. And you understand that Jabba has a lot of power and a lot of pull. And that Han isn't just like some rascal that you should immediately love. It's like, oh, he works for a criminal syndicate. Mm-hmm. He is a jerk. He is not a good dude. And and like seeing, yeah. and then seeing how much pull he has with Jabba. Like when he walks up and he, cause he walks in and that first shot you see is his hand right next to his gun. Right. Right. So they are establishing very quickly that this could turn very violent and he might expect it to. Right. And then he, he goes over and he throws his arm around Jabba and he's like, come on, man, you got this. And Jabba laughs. He's like, all right, this is my, this is your last try. Nobody else would get this kind of treatment. And I think that that also reinforces this sort of like untrustworthy bent in, in, in Solo. Because it's like, oh well, if he can, if he can, you know, hornswoggle the captain of the the mafia in this, what is it, Mos Eisley? Mm-hmm. If he can yeah. hornswoggle the captain of the mafia, Mos Eisley, like it doesn't, it's not at all surprising that he can hornswoggle some some boondock hicks. We don't have to get into it, but the, the Hutt family like owns the underworld in Tatooine. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing is like. The notion that he's got that kind of pull at that kind of power level says a lot about his character right. and goes a long way towards helping you understand his power level relative to the other people in this world. Because he isn't he isn't in touch with ancient powers. He doesn't know how to how to have a laser blade, but he can smile at someone who wants to kill him and make them decide not to. Oh, and that's, just, a, that's a heck of a superpower. He just drips charm, man. It's just it just falls off of him as he walks, you know. And it, just... it is effortless. It doesn't feel shoehorned <laughs> in. It doesn't feel like it's it's being because characters like that. People have been trying to be solo since, right? Mm-hmm. There have been characters who it's like, oh, they really want that to be Han Solo. And the problem is that the actors are often too arrogant or too self assured. And so what winds up happening is instead of being sort of charming and affable, they come across as douchey. <laughs> That and, like, and yeah, and that's really talking about my favorite scene in the whole film. The this, the conversation between him and the um, imperial officer on the other side of the mic. Yep, like he just he made some mistake, you know. Like he's trying to talk himself out of it, and he can't. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, okay, we're gonna have we're gonna have to fight now. You know. Yep. Okay. And like the the phone's breaking up. I can't. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it just it's it's not so much to me, honestly, the scene that I really it's it's kind of it may be the fact that I grew up watching the theatrical release and not the special Mm -hmm. edition. And so it feels foreign to me a lot, but it just feels like that scene like it feels like that scene was a deleted scene for a reason. And I think 
it could have done better if 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 they spent more time with it. I just feel like that wasn't Harrison Ford's best performance in the whole film. That's to me, that's his weakest scene. Acting wise. It just kind of feels that way. And it could be the fact that we're looking at 1997 CG on Jabba, you know, like. Mm -hmm. And so, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's probably a big part of it for sure. Um, I, I just really like it because it's it, it reinforces in the same way that you saw earlier in the movie. You saw the Jawas and you saw the androids. You see all this stuff happening around them. There is this component of this presentation of the story that shows you that other stuff is happening. It's not yeah. this isn't a story where we follow the main character from point A to point B and the movie is over. You've got all this background work happening and all this background information going on that builds up the characters in their own unique situations. And we cannot forget that this scene also introduces Boba Fett. Is he in that scene? Yep. I, I didn't notice that. Sorry. Oh, yeah. He's in he's in that scene. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Man, talk about like a character that wasn't supposed to mean anything that comes to a legend, you know, mm-hmm. like Boba Fett, just because of his armor and his quietness. Like, ah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that to me, you know, sport, you know, shows me the, the love that people have for Han Solo is that's, I think the love for that people have for Han Solo is why Boba Fett is so famous. And we'll get to that in the next movie. Yeah. I think, I don't think the scene feels campy. So I'm okay. watching this scene again right now. And I don't think it feels campy because it's bad. I think it feels campy because of the graphics. Like okay. I'm watching the the background around Harrison Ford's head and his hair is like shadowy. Like you, when you put on a bad background filter okay. on uh, Skype or whatever. Skype? Right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You get that blur near the edge yep. of the character. No, yeah. So the, there's, the, there's the a lot of that in that scene. There. And I think that really sort of rips you out of it. In yeah, there's just something that's that's a little off for me about it that just kind of puts me out that it just feels like it's you know it feels shoehorned in and that definitely obviously has something to do with me mostly watching the theatrical release when i was younger you know and not yeah i feel that was this the first star wars movie you ever saw yeah yeah Yeah, it was yeah do you remember star wars before you saw this like were you aware of what star wars was before you watched this my dad showed this to me when i was maybe six yeah i was very young when i first watched this like five six that age you know and i I, but we, did you have cable growing up? Like five, six, seven when you're yes. that age? Okay. Yes. I think I would see Star Wars on TV or I would see some sort of star. Like, I don't know. To me, I understood Star Wars before I, like, let me put it this way. I cannot remember a time in my life where I didn't know Star Wars existed. Like. I can. I don't remember a, a world that I live in that I didn't understand what Star Wars was. That's pretty cool, man. You, know, you should call like, your parents and thank them. I, I will. They're going to listen to this podcast. So thank you so much. Because like you did me <laughs> right by showing me Star Wars. Because it is. It's just like outside of my love for James Bond, Star Wars is like my favorite like franchise. Like, I, I I love everything about it. It's like everything I want. It's like fantastical space with like magical like humans and creatures and weird things. And like it's generally... The good guys generally win. Like it's just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Any, it's any, a lot of fun. I would. I just remember it. the day when my dad told me about it. We were on vacation, summer vacation, at like this beach in Texas, and we were staying at this hotel. 
And we had been out on the beach that day and we came back to the pool to like get the salt off of us and like just relax in the cool like pool water for a while because in the hot Texas weather, the sun was going down. It was like that, that, you know, that magical time of day, that sort of photograph twilight hour, the golden time. And, and we're, my dad, we're like swimming around and my dad is like playing with me and my brother, like we'll swim up to him and he'll like pick us up and push us away in other directions and stuff. And so he's doing that with both of us and he's like, and there's robots and there's aliens and there's a bad guy who can kill you just by looking at you. And they've got <laughs> these swords that are made of lasers and they've got spaceships and there's spaceships fly around shooting each other. And as a, as a six-year-old who was like watching Transformers and watching Power Rangers, I was just like, yes, yes, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. give it, give it now, give it now. And he was like, you want to watch it? And I was like, Yes. And so we watched it in the hotel that Ugh. night. And I was just like, I remember even as a kid being like, I feel like when I, as a kid watching A New Hope, I felt after it was over, like I feel now when I watched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, uncut edition from start to finish. I was mm-hmm. like, what a journey. Mm-hmm. What a journey. Ugh. Gosh, I was watching Lord of the Rings last night while I was doing the dishes just to have something on. That's so Which good. Which movie? Uh, Fellowship of the Ring, just because that's what I was watching to fall asleep to on Hulu the other night. I like to put Lord of the Rings on when I fall asleep sometimes. Nice. I've seen the beginning of Fellowship like 10 times over the last few months. <laughs> it's like, sure, <laughs> this looks good. I know this. I can just not pay attention to it and follow along with my ears. This isn't a Lord of the Rings podcast. What are we doing? No, we're we're celebrating movies, man. Any 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 final final words you want to throw throw out here? You have do you you wanna do you have anything else that you're dying to discuss before we before we move on to Empire next week. I have to shout out the obvious sort of parallel to the classic Dungeons and Dragons party, right? Like when you talk about iterative character types and you talk about like the rogue and the warrior and the cleric and, you know, all of those things like, the you know, the fighter, the sorcerer, like all of those are here. All of those mm-hmm. are here and accounted for. And so I wonder if Lucas played D&D or if he knew people who did who helped him shape this. Because When was D&D released? Early 70s? Uh, before that. I think D&D came out late 60s. Okay. I think. The, the famous thing that Lucas, I was reading this on the most trusted website last night, Wikipedia. Um, the famous like thing for, for Lucas was... <laughs> this is, Original was introduced in 74. Okay. And this came out in 77. And so he was writing the script in 74. I was learning that last night. Yeah. Yeah. That that's gotta have some sort of influence. Cause I mean, really it's, it's right there, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're given a mission, you go out and you could do the mission. You come, you know, like, and all the party members are there. You even have your like support characters with R2 and like C3PO. Like R2 is your, your cleric, you know, who like fixes Luke's ship when it comes down. Like he provides the health, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. That's wonderful. Um, is there anything that really puts you off on the film? Like any scene I have a, like, it's kind of a, a cheap shot to, to, to call that pilot Porkins. Like, Oh no, he doesn't bother me at all. I like the idea that like pilot talent is pilot talent. No, I know. I'm not complaining about that. I just think his nickname is kind of rude. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's very much a time capsule thing. Yeah, it's people have been doing a, that for ages. Yeah, no, I, I actually really like that. I like that. Good pilot is a good pilot. You're right. And, you know, it's I think that's terrific. I was. 
Is the guy with the mustache Biggs or is it Wedge when they're fighting, flying? Biggs, Biggs is his friend who shows up first. Okay. And so Wedge, I'm pretty sure Wedge is the one who shows up. Wedge is the one who shows up second then. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Also, uh, just a really quick movie detail because I'm watching the trench run right now. In the early part of the um, the scene where they extend all their X or X wing like wings and they like, get into attack formation, they actually say, um, "Move all of your power to your front deflector shields." Yep. So you don't have any rear deflector shields, which means like the Tie Fighters coming up behind them is a playoff of like that. Like they weren't expecting Tie Fighters to run the trench with them. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, that is so effective from the Empire yep. side. It's because yep. they don't have any shields in the back, you know? Yep. There's I, lots of little details like there that is. that really do come through consistently. And it's taken me 30 times watching this movie to figure those out. Like, mostly I'm just, like, excited that Star Wars was on and just, like, paying attention, you know, watching what Luke does and Leia and those guys. But it's, it's, it's a, that's what, and that's what I was trying to talk about earlier is, like, there's a lot of different things in here that they lay groundwork for that if you pay attention to, it's a very tight, tight script, like tight, mm-hmm. tight movie. It works. I mean, there's a reason it's one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. Like, right. There's a reason. Like, we're not just like gushing about it because we love Star Wars. We're gushing about it because this is a quality film. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like space and Everything we just talked about, you should watch Star Wars if we didn't ruin it for you. If you have not already seen it, you should probably have watched it before you t- take this journey with us. But go listen to our commentary while we watch you, it. You can, we can all yeah, watch you, it together. You won't be disappointed. It's a fun time. It's a great time, actually. If you don't if you know if you have the time and you want to watch Star Wars and if like a new hope um, is something that that you're like, you know, I could watch it again. Really throw on our commentary because it's a lot of fun to listen to. And I think we do a good job of like trying to point out a lot of little details in the film that you may have missed. And so definitely check that out. Um, My real final thoughts here is is that it's my third favorite Star Wars film. So there's two more that I like more than this one, but it's not much like. It, it, you know, as much as I is as I typically prefer the sequel, this is probably one of my favorites, like highest ranked, like opening movies to a to a franchise. It just does. It's so good. It sets the tone so well. I think it sets the characters up really well. I think the characters are very well written. I think they are not just one dimensional. And I think you can really get into them. And really, everybody has that purpose. But they're also simple enough that they're approachable, right? Nobody no, feels yes, overwhelmed absolutely. or like too, too, too zoomed in on. Mm-hmm. No, and really the, the, the testament to watching somebody been like looking at the force and using laser swords and blasters and flying in space and never once questioning like the believability of it really speaks volume mm-hmm. to the film. Yep. As well. Yeah, they commit. Do we want to um, try to? So here's here's what we're gonna do next. Um, next week is Empire Strikes Back. Max mm-hmm. and I will go through and um, do a commentary again because we have to watch it, and then we'll talk about it. And so, what are we thinking for Infinite Pulp's final ranking of these films? Do we want to rank them as we watch them? And we will like, so right now a new hope's our number one film and next week we'll be like, is empire strikes back better than a new hope? And we kind of just rank them that way. 
Yeah, I think that's fun. I think it could be a little segment at the end. I do like too. Like 10 or 15 minutes. And that way we don't have to do a full episode about it at the end. Yeah, I agree. So let's 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 do that right now. Let me create a little list here. And there are two things I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Out of the movies we have watched in Star Wars so far, where does this rank on your list? Easily number one. Me too. Top of the list. I agree. It's just phenomenal. In most respects. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. A new hope. Okay. So here's my next question I want to rank. I want you to rank the opening crawl. So you're going to have to read the opening crawls for the other ones. Okay. It's when we watch them. But um, I want to rank all of the opening crawls because I think that will be fun. So um, and then finally, our final list of what I think we should rank is um, lightsaber fights. That's so many lists. Uh, three. Three lists. It'll just be a nice little cap off to each episode. You know, we can do a final like little here. These are our lists. Okay. It's a good little little stop. So obviously A New Hope is number one for movies. Mm-hmm. For all three. I think it should be number one for crawls and lightsaber fights as well. Yeah. Um, but go watch A New Hope. That's our that's generally the show. Any 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 final words on A New Hope before I let everybody go? It was, you know, my only real sadness, you know, my only real regret coming out of this conversation is just that there aren't more movies in the series. You know, I wish I wish Mm -hmm. we could just keep watching it. I agree. I'm sad that this is the only one. So we'll see you guys next week for The Empire Strikes Back. We're not sure who made that or if it's even a Star Wars movie, but we heard it was. So I think we're going to try to watch it and see um, what it is. But honestly, the saddest part about this movie for me is that it's over. Like, Mm -hmm. Like that I can't experience it for the first time again. And like a testament to the Star Wars world and what I'll keep talking about throughout the rest of our podcast is that the the reason I love these so much is because they they don't want me to they want me I, I want to live in the star. Like I want to know more. I want to know more about the Star Wars world. I want to continue being with these characters and that's to me a good story. If a good story leaves yeah. me with wanting to like figure out where they're going next, what's going to happen after they're done. If it was a film about like Luke, Carrie, and Han just sitting around having drinks after the Death Star blew up, I'd be I'd watch that. I'd watch an hour and a half of them just chatting about their life. You know, like I just want to live and exist in this world. So, <laughs> welcome to Star Wars: The Sand Saga. Infinite Pulp review: Star Wars: The Sand Saga. It's coarse and it's irritating and it gets it's everywhere. everywhere. We'll see you guys next week for Empire Strikes Back. Thanks for joining us. Have yourself a great rest of your day. <laughs>